Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Four, for seven decades, Michael Keane has been among the world's most renowned and recognisable actors. It was just what I needed, a one-inch god with a two-inch penis. The star of classics like Zulu, The Man Who Will Be King and The Cider House Rules. It's a miracle no one was killed. But also films that brought his career to the brink of complete implosion. I made a mistake. Somehow, he has always found a way back. You're a big man, but you're in bad shape. In this epic podcast series, we will watch and review every Michael Caine movie from the greatest hits You're only supposed to, blow the bloody doors off. to the incredible misses. You've failed to maintain your women, son. And take a deep dive into the life and work of one of the world's most recognizable film stars. His name is Michael Caine, and no one will forget his name. To understand how he has made... The Mark of Cain. Well, you all settled in? Record. Alfie! <laughs> Lovely with the wit start. Hello and welcome to The Mark of Cain, our screaming dive bomb into the works of Michael Cain, watching every film in the great man's catalogue, from the direct hits to the misses to the ones sent spiralling into the sea in a ball of flame. Uh, my co-pilot, as always, is Stephen Black, Chief Reich's Air Marshal for the Mallow News Twitter feed. You like what I'm doing here? I do, yeah. It's 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 very on theme. I have been. I it took all of like five, three, four, five minutes to come up with that. Excellent. Almost as uh, as long as uh, as Michael Caine's appearance in this fucking film. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. We are talking about the Battle of Britain. This is our film today. Uh, we have come out of the Italian job, which was quite a refreshing experience. I think we'll both agree. It was. Uh, you know, after some of the stodge that we had to wade through. Uh, and now we're straight into World War II, as you were saying last week. Did you end up reading any World War II books afterwards? Uh, not really, no. I didn't figure it was that important. I kind of got the gist from what was going on here. Good guys, bad guys, planes, death. Don't think there's any more detail that I really need to know about this. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah, um, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I think, and there's, you know, there's, there's plenty more people will fill in the blanks for you. Uh, I think you might find, though, that there are a bit more nuances to it than that. But um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that is. That this is the, the world. Across. Today's world. Today's world does not require nuance. It's not a time for nuance. That's what I like about living in today's uh, today's modern world. I don't need nuance. Oh God, I'm already worried about this conversation. <sighs> right. Okay. We're out of the minis. We had the minis in the Italian job, and we're moving into the Spitfires now for this detail. Yes, we we. We, we have left the warm sauna of uh, the Italian job and we are now immersed in the freezing cold plunging pool of Battle of Britain. Yes. Historically accurate, but porridge stodgy. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Like, just because it's like this in reality does not mean, you know, you, 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 you translate everything like it was to the screen. I mean, it's like Kane said in his own book, you know, yes, when you're watching a movie and a man is going from point A to point B, you don't have to, you know, Show him getting up, showering, getting into his car, stuck yeah. in traffic, until he eventually gets his destination. Nobody wants to see that level of detail. And the same, the same, 
logic applies here. No one needs to see the kind of, I mean, the sheer mundanity of the dogfights in this, uh, it, it just really beggars all belief as to how anyone thought when they were looking at the rushes in this, where we've really made a, a, a really fast-paced, entertaining uh, war movie. That's pretty much it. And just before you, dear listener, decides that, what is the point in listening to this? This sounds terrible. Hang in there. There are there are some interesting bits and pieces, not least Kane's actual on-screen amount of time he's actually on screen. Uh, we'll come to that in a minute. Uh, also, we're going to have a little look at, this is the, his last film of the 60s. So I think it's an apt time to recap on what we've had to sit through uh, over the past little while. Um, but before all that, let's roll trailer. By the spring of 1940, Germany had virtually crushed every country on the continent. Now all that stood between them and the rest of the world was a handful of young British pilots in a handful of untried airplanes. short span of just a few months, Europe had been crushed in the steel fist of Germany. A stunned world watched as nation after nation was bombarded into submission. What's left of your army abandoned its weapons at Dunkirk. You're defenseless and just playing for time. We can walk into Britain whenever we like. Don't threaten or dictate to us until you're marching up Whitehall. Two sections, Strambo! to work near you oh uh Susanna York why won't you move your job closer to where I work oh I don't know why this needs to be a plot point in a fucking blockbuster movie do you Christopher Plummer I don't even know whether or not I should keep this English accent up or move into my more natural American accent <laughs> you know what I actually had to go back and because for most of the film I didn't have a clue where he was from and I went back and I actually noticed, oh, hang on a minute. They've written it in big letters on the side of his arm. Canada. Right. Okay, so that's fair enough. So all is forgiven, Christopher Plummer. Uh, <laughs> you, they basically gave you the, Jean, the Jean-Claude Van Damme veto here. They get out a jail card for why you're not going to bother your hole doing another accent. <laughs> famous, famous Canadian and also Austrian um, yeah. captain, Christopher Plummer. Yeah. Yeah, he's fought on both sides of this war already, and it's in the 60s. It's incredible. What, what versatility. Oh, the man could just, he's, he's, he's amazing. He, he, he could play Kevin Spacey at the drop of a hat. You know that. <laughs> he can go from benevolent Nazi to, uh, to uh, flight tutor, just, just, just like that. It's just natural to him. No problem. Not even, a, not even a kink in the accent. I know, I don't want to be taking the piss out of Chris Cormor because he's, he is more or less amazing and everything he does but these are the the, yeah. the the kind of the the early years for christopher Plummer, and this was not a good performance yeah and to be honest with you i don't think there's anyone in this movie who's given it their all i think no. this is very much uh an entire you know i think this is very much the the attitude of a cast tour on, on their home turf uh, it appears to be shot in the summer it's warm out mm. we're mostly lazing around in chairs waiting to hop into plane uh planes 
uh, pretend to take off, then while all the stunt lads do the the real work. It's a very odd fit. Do you know what I thought actually on that point? I actually thought it was possibly. Yes, you're right. Like, but slightly different in that some of them thought, okay, this is the definitive telling of the Battle of Britain. We've spent like 13 million quid on this. There's 100 odd airplanes in the sky. It's like the 35th biggest air force in the world right now as we're filming it. And we got, we got to make this work. And somehow the whole thing just gets all stuck. There's a huge budget, mighty cast, you know, all the names of the era there. Kane is in the, he's, he's on the podium. He's in the middle positions, like in the opening credits. But we barely see him. We barely see him at all. And that's, it kind of tells, that says a lot about the whole movie, I think. Yeah, it's one of these things that they were mad for in the 60s and 70s were these huge ensemble casts with plenty of well-known faces. But, you know, it was, that's all they were there for. They were there to sell tickets rather than to be an integral part of the, of the story. In four, he has four screen appearances by my count, in the in two hours and 11 minutes. His actual on-screen involvement amounts to nine minutes, 46 seconds. And that chunk of that is like action, flight action scenes where you don't see him. It's just his plane yeah. flying about. Like, so, I mean, that's just bits. That's that, that nine minutes, 46 seconds. That it may sound ridiculous. I just, I, I realized it about two thirds of the way through the film. I went, he's, he's not in this film. So like, that's why I went back. Cause I, was like, I, I cannot believe because he's, you know, in fairness to him at this point in his career, he is getting it together. You know, I mean, the Italian job, he is bringing, he would, he would have brought something to this film if they'd used him more, like I do, I think, anyway. Yeah, well, it's a very much pointy, pointy, shout, shout, fly, fly. And that's it. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's and his does. dog. They give him a dog, which is more than they do for plenty of the others in terms of, that's his, that's his emotional center, the dog. Yeah, I don't understand the rationale behind this. Other than he sell a ticket, Michael Caine's in it. Um, do your bit for Harry Salzman and do your bit for Guy Hamilton, who you've worked with before. So maybe that's yeah. it. He that's felt it. he owed them. That's it. I, I, he it. felt he, he felt he owed them enough to turn up, but not enough to actually put in a good performance. Oh, it's incredibly wooden. It's incredibly wooden. Yep. We'll get to that in a second. Listen, I'm going to fly through this plot. Um, yeah. For for anybody who's interested in in World War I, I do you even need to do you even need to fly through the plot? The Battle of Britain. If people don't know the Battle of Britain, um, really, it's what? there's a there's German Germans the Germans try to invade or to bomb uh, the British by plane, yeah, and they don't succeed, and well, we're variously yeah. exposed and we're and we're exposed throughout the movie to like paper paper like rice paper thin character sketches of people on both sides. Uh, more so, obviously, the British side, uh, for some controversial reason, they didn't think they should be focusing on the Germans uh, mm-hmm. that much. And we get to visit with their personalities a little bit and their domestic life, I guess, in order to give them some kind of death. But it doesn't work because it's the script is terrible and the performances are awful. So yeah, that's essentially you, it. You're, you, you know what? You're, you're pretty much right. I mean, this is I mean, at the time and up to now, it is considered you know, a very historically accurate retelling of the Battle of Britain, right? It's And it is very detailed. And, I mean, in the same way, remember we, when we were talking about Funeral in Berlin, we were kind of saying, you know, it was nice to see Berlin because, because you know, that Harry Palmer film was filmed at the Berlin Wall on both sides, and it was a kind of little historical snapshot. Yeah. So the Battle of Britain does have that going for it. Like, they have spitfires, and they had, like, so they were coming down with experts. Like, this is only whatever, what is it? 1940, 1969, so like 29 years after the Battle of Britain. So like they were coming down with guys who knew what happened. So it's all very accurate. But like, if, like 
even when I sketched out the plot, I realized I'm just sketching out the, the, the trajectory of the Battle of Britain. Like there are there are the subplots are entirely superfluous to the movie, which is a huge problem. And your subplots basically that we'll, we'll probably chat about now is is Christopher Plummer and Susanna York as a married couple split by war. And like you said, she won't move to Scotland, blah, blah, blah. And but they're not split got... by war. They're not split by war. They're in the same fucking war. She's a co- she's a, she's two towns over. That's essentially yeah. it. No, like. but he's going to Scotland and he she's down in the south of England. So they are kind of split, isn't that it? Anyway, look, no, it's not really across the bat. Let's not fight. I mean, we we've seen that from this movie that that violence doesn't solve anything. Oh no, hang on, no. Actually, it completely proves the opposite. If anything, totally. violence does totally solves. It Maybe solves we should everything. continue to fight until there is one victor. Uh, okay, let's start with the, let's start now. We'll start with the fucking fleshing out with the only thing we could really talk about of um is the are the the interpersonal relationships, the backstory here, the domestics. Um, yeah. this is where the emotional heft is supposed to come from. So when you delve into their their lives. The emotional heft of when something bad happens or something yeah. tragic happens, it, you feel it more deeply, you feel it more empathically because you spend some time with them, and they're you know they're 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 personable people to to be over. That completely fucking fails. This you've got Chris Plummer and Susanna York playing, as you say, this 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 married couple, and again, it's all about you know, are you not going to move up to Scotland to be with me? And that that's it. You're you're um the timeline is so garbled. Mm. I mean, it's historically accurate, but you have no idea where the fuck you are in terms of the, you know, like the Battle of Britain lasted around three, three months, three and a half months, apparently. But, you know, there's no passage of time other occasionally than spending time with him and his wife in the, um, ha- uh, having a night of R&R in a, in a hostel or wherever, wherever the fuck it is. And mm. a bit of racy racy there. And then you've, you've got out of nowhere. Like the subtlety in this movie is as subtle as a fucking hammer um, made of glass like. Yeah, it, she's I, she's she's introduced to a new member of her of her team who's be a, a real life war veteran who's had uh, burns uh, and she basically has that usual thing you know you can see don't stare at his face don't stare at his face stares at his face you can see uh, somebody with a, a dis- with such a facial disability is disturbing to her yeah you know you you might be what would happen to her you know how would she cope if somebody she loved uh, was was uh, disfigured in the same way cut to and I mean fucking immediately cut to Chris. Chris Canada fucking maple syrup moose ahoy plumber in the sky um, getting fucking ratatatted by one of the other Germans um, fumbling to get out of the canopy and he's terribly burned as she's yeah. told afterwards. Sorry, no. Uh, best of luck with the marriage. We know you can go up and move next to him, but, but will you want to? Because we're referring here that you can't cope. Who, why? Why? <laughs> Nobody fucking cares. It should no, be. If that can. was done... If you did that right, you should care awfully about you to say, wow, I re- I'm really invested in this relationship. I hope they can work out their, their, their problems. But oh no, adversity has thrown a fucking curveball at them. Will they be able to uh, overcome this? But nah, just fucking tossed off hand as if it was a fucking cigarette butt like. like and also it, it, has the, it, it also has the thing in common with the other subplots that the minute Plummer gets incinerated, we don't see him again. So that's gone, right? In the same way, we have Ian McShane is in it as well. And there's a, a little thing. He's from, I'm assuming, the East End of London. And he goes home on a bit of R&R, goes back to the church hall where everybody is gathered during an air raid. He goes away to help someone else. And the, the air raid or the, the church hall is bombed and his entire family gets killed. He goes to stay with, some, with Robert Shaw, actually, who is his commanding officer. And they, go, and they go away. That's the last of Ian McShane. 
We have no what idea the, how, how well, it's Lord, this is This is Lovejoy. This is Al Swearingen from fucking yeah. Deadwood. This is a man, uh, fucking uh, Winston from fucking John Wick. This is a man with emotional range, a heft, yeah. a, a fucking a character actor par excellence. And he looked, he reacted in the same way to, uh, to his wife of Hamid Dyke, as you'd imagine, if he just found out that he lost two Bob on the Grand National. Yeah. You know, oh, God, it's terrible. And I don't. Anyway, onwards and upwards. Exactly, and I don't and I don't buy stiff upper lip crap on this. Like this, this didn't you know this didn't need stiff upper lip. Like this needed a bit of teasing out. And to be fair to Max Shane, it's nineteen sixty nine. It's the start of his career, but he you can see you can see in between the lines like that that there's a very good actor here that could do plenty with it. Which brings us on quite nicely to our man and his nine minutes and forty six seconds. No, he, he's. I can't even remember the name of his character. I think it's Cranberry or Cranfield or something like that, right? Oh, fucking but Captain does it, does very fucking it little. Doesn't matter, Kane, right? So Mick is sent to up to an airfield to train up new pilots for rapid response. You know, to get up in the sky as quickly as they can because because the British are so outnumbered, like four to one or whatever it is. So he goes up. And that's it. His dog, like I said before, is his emotional center, it seems. He's whimpering when he goes up into the sky to battle, and he's whimpering when it's revealed that he's been killed five minutes later. I don't know about you, by the way. I had to go back and check had he been killed. Had he been killed? I didn't yeah. even know that good. It's, it's, he was shot down. I, you know, well, in that case, would it not... that what Given the emotional connection between him and his dog, would that not have made the movie if, after he's been killed, you just see the dog running towards the airship, jumping into the cockpit of a, of a Spitfire... <laughs> <laughs> fucking taken off and going to take his revenge in the Jerry's. I would have paid cash money and this would have gone straight to 10 out of 10 for me if yeah. you just saw a literal a literal dog fight. You got this yeah. fucking lab- Labrador air with clearly, you know, puppeted ha- paws on the steering wheel of the Spitfire. Yeah. And you know, like as he's as he's gunning down Jerry, you just have these kind of flashbacks to, you know, McCain throwing a throwing him a bone or, you know, playing fetch in Hyde Park or what have you. Yeah. That would have been much that would I would have been emotionally involved, it would have been rousing, would have made for a much better ending rather than the damp, wet patch yeah. of a finale, which they, for some reason they decided to score like a silent movie. So there's no oh, so oh. the the final do, the final dogfight in this movie is essentially just scored. There are no sound effects. There's no um. There's no dialogue, and it and and it is just dreadful. It is it's just dog, fucking flash and limp, flat and limp. And the score is so. It's one of the worst scores I've ever heard. In any over movie. the top. It's it's like something from The Great Escape. It is a damn shame that they didn't get that dog up in the air because we could have found out that his name was actually Mutt Spitfire, and they could have actually called the film Dogfight. Yes. <sighs> dog Dogfight: The Legend of Mutt Spitfire. Yeah. Now we got a movie. Yeah. Now we got a show. Oh my god! Like Kane, like God bless him, God bless him. But he had. We're back. We're back to the Zulu accent as well. We're back to Bromhead now at, at the Battle of Britain. He doesn't have a whole lot to say, but the bit he has to say, oh good Jesus, it's so incredibly wooden. And I mean, you know, again, we say it at these moments, like we're coming from a place of love with this man, but I mean, it's just. I mean, phoning it in doesn't even come close to what happens here. No, I, he's pointing his off as well. Like yeah. he's pointing his off in terms of emphasizing what he is, what he's saying. It's like it's you know it, it's it's out of sync. So he's mm. pointing game, which was I mean it was on point for uh, a fucking pun, definitely not intended because it's so weak uh, for the Italian job. He's a game when it came to pointing. This now it's like he's been relegated to I don't know insert the bad football league there. Uh, 
fucking I let you do third it. division. Third third division is that a thing? Oh good God, we're back in the eighties. It's fine. People will insert their own uh, bad football league. It's fine. Carry on. No, no, that was it. Just I was very disappointed. <laughs> all around in terms of the thing that you thought he'd gotten down now which is pointing you think right he's going to bring that to every role now and he's going to do it well 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 some good pointing in the megas there was some brief good pointing in the megas i was brought up to another level in the italian job and then the pointing as you say was was off again Uh, that's 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 it that's it again isn't it like we thought we were kind of we were caught we were moving forward after the italian job this really i was really surprised because like i've tried to watch the battle of britain a few times i have found it it's just dull um when which seems incredible for a war movie of this scale but it is dull um and uh I was surprised at how poor Kane was in this. Now I have to say, did you? You wouldn't have. You presumably didn't have any expectation one way or the other for this movie. You wouldn't be really into this kind of stuff. I had, and to be honest, as soon as even at the opening, I kind of had some hope. I said, "Oh, right, okay, yeah. they're using they're using real Spitfires. This looks authentic. Maybe, maybe it'll be good." And then you know when you realize that no, nobody's really given it their all in terms of performances. This is really just a cameo fest. And then when you see the actual action scenes itself, and they're so, I mean. Plane battles or dogfights or whatever we're going to put it are so hard to get right in the first place all your characters are essentially wearing masks to cover their face so expression isn't more likely taken out of it uh, so you're working really for the, the action is supposed to convey the drama as well and it's just so poorly done it's just like one indistinguishably grey green plane firing on another indistinguishably grey green, green, plane and somebody falls into the ocean, or somebody uh, parachute, or somebody plane explodes. Somebody parachutes into the sky. You don't know who the fuck it is, but which side they're on, and you don't care. The explosions in this movie are so fucking bad. They're very poor. Give him, give it his nineteen sixty nine and all, but they're still very poor. But they're straight. You know, like there's no. You're under no illusion that explosions are are, are like some explosives being set off from underneath whatever's blowing up. Like a a building will blow up, and then all of a sudden the car next to it will blow up. There's no the you know it just makes no sense <laughs> when somebody gets shot in the plane like there's a shot here where a german uh, pilot gets shot in the face right mm-hmm. and the blood is all over his face but his goggles are fine <laughs> so it looks like a paint can is blown up his face so you're like i don't know what yeah. what they were thinking you know it's it's, it's just really it's not good stodgy Porridge, like you said. It's and you know, I think what can encapsulate really Kane's position in this film. I mean, he arrives in after it takes twenty five minutes for him to appear, and he's gone about eighty five minutes in. Like before he arrives in the first twenty five minutes, we meet Chris Plummer, Robert Shaw, Edward Fox, Ian McShane, Lawrence Olivier is in there, Ralph Richardson is there, Andre from Faulty Towers, 
the guy. Do you remember the the gourmet episode with the duck? Yes. Uh, yeah. The guy who runs the restaurant in Torquay, he's in it before Kane. Kane arrives roughly around the same time as Emmett from Keeping Up Appearances. Right? That's 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 where he's placed in it. It's just Fred, 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 Fred the butcher from Coronation Street. Well, you know, at some yeah. stages in this as well. Uh, and uh, what James Cosmo? James Cosmo is in this. It was unrecognizable. Absolutely. James Cosmo from you know every Scottish movie, uh, movie that's ever been made. James Cosmo, Highlander, fucking Braveheart. Yeah, it's 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 just it's, it's extraordinary the way it's. I mean, and it comes back to. I mean, you you touched on it there. Like there are two fundamental problems here with with a film like this. Number one. It's the diff. It's the difficulty in in making people connect with um kind of war movies in the air because you don't have a clue what's going on. Like the like yeah. you said, the last the last battle scene is chaos, and maybe that's maybe that's deliberate. But like at no stage do we know who's winning the battle. Only that the Germans are getting awful bored with this, and in the last yeah. five minutes, it's like the filmmakers decide, oh shit, we 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 got to wrap this up. Right, let's just have it that the Germans just stop, and that's it. That's it. Um, and also, oh, and also, of course, the British start trusting Johnny Foreigner, you know, the Polish pilots and the Czech pilots and these lads who they didn't basically they didn't trust because they didn't speak English. Uh, but then when they sent them up into the sky and they got a couple of other look, if you're interested in the Battle of Britain, you go and find out about it. We'll just read it up. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. You'll read it up. Can we talk about can we talk about the Germans? Yeah, we will. We'll talk about the Germans in a minute. But I just want to make one last point right about the, just the plot and things, because we don't want to spend too long on the movie, really. Um, no. But just. There's a fundamental issue here with the telling of history uh, around and not being able to tell a story. And this this movie is a classic case of a very accurate piece of work, but that just doesn't doesn't it's, it's just unable to tell a human story. Like Ian McShane should have been the center of the movie. Kane should have been in it more. Um, we didn't need Kane and Plummer, but like you said, it's probably just to sell tickets. But yeah. like it, it it it's just a classic example of a really interesting subject something that's really important that collapses in a heap because the makers are unable to actually relate a human story at the center of it all and the whole thing yeah. just falls apart yeah and when you say no human there's there's no character arc here which is what you no. need within the song but like this you need even just the most basic character starts from this point at the beginning of the film uh you know doings that transpire throughout the film and is at a different place by the end of the film something to kind of bring the, the viewer a lot or the audience yeah. along with you and, and the thing is right we have watched two movies back to back now the italian job and the battle of britain that essentially have machines at the center of the story right so you have the minis in the italian job and the spitfires in this right but you look at the italian job and you like you're okay it's a, it's a bit of fluff but you are rooting for someone you do care mainly because kane's performance is so good that he brings enough in the Italian job that you care what, what's going to happen next. Like I do care. And the minis enhance the whole thing. It's a flip around in this. They, it's like, it's like they're the bond. Like it's the bond production network have come into this and gone, you know what? We're just going to load a pile of money at effects and planes. And it's going to look so amazing. People are going to be blown away and it won't matter that they don't have a clue what's going on on the ground. And that there's no space for any of our good actors to actually flex their muscles because, oh, by the way, the script is awful. Awful. Yeah. That's the worst thing is that's the worst thing about it is that the script is awful. Like the thing with the Italian job is, is yes, Kane is fantastic and Kane uh, bring, elevates it. But the, the the dialogue is excellent in the Italian job. It's really, really, you know, by and large, it's really excellent. And it, fl- it really kind of uh, skips along, whereas yeah. you feel every single second in this movie 
it just is yeah. you know again it, it's turgid it's slow it's it's yeah. it's a bad movie it comes looking just back, to, it, it comes back to the very yeah. basic thing if you don't have a story you don't have a movie but anyway yeah. you want to talk about the germans just quickly to talk about the german uh the germans in this movie the back and you know the decision to go back with them there's nobody there that you read the only kind of continuity you have there i suppose is herman goring and uh he's he, he's underlings i guess they're the only people that you see kind of regularly enough throughout uh i would say not want to be controversial i probably sign that hitler may have actually had a sense of humor was the fact that he 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 appointed one of his least aerodynamic members of staff <laughs> to the head of the of uh, the luftwaffe he was more of a um, zeppelin really wasn't he he really was and he had more fucking he had more costume changes than bugatti in fucking zoolander <laughs> he's just gonna go on and he did a lovely pink number that is purple and then it's white you know he's very fashion mm. forward Ah, he's um, that kind of guy. Uh, this movie is important maybe for one reason only, and that is that I think this may be the first uh, recorded use of sh- the word shytalk in, in movies. I think you might be right. It's certainly, you, you, you hardly ever hear it ever since anyway. So maybe Battle of Britain deserves to be in the pantheon of uh, cinematic greats just because, it, I mean, shytalk is a great word. It is a great word. And you know what? Yeah. A very underutilized word. Now that yeah, you say yeah. it, and now that I heard it in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Should use it more. Yeah. Do you think that Guy Hamilton made the decision to have the bad guys all speak German just so international audiences knew who the bad guys were? I think that was very helpful of him. I think Guy Hamilton, like, I mean, I know you're not a fan, but, like, he did, he did Funeral Berlin, didn't he? He did. He did. Um, which we quite didn't mind. Like, it was, it was good. It yeah, we liked it. We liked it, yeah. Yeah. And he's, he did some good, good Bond movies. Um, uh, but this is terrible. I, my point was my point was essentially just like for the for all of the 60s and 50s and 40s all nazis were played by british actors so i assumed that this would have been an issue that that they, they prayed in their mind like make, make sure the bad guys are speaking german well there are one or two that you'll see popping up like there's uh i think one of them appears in the great escape as the very nasty ss camp commandant that gets landed in at the very end uh as opposed there. to all the nice ones yeah all the nice lads yeah uh well you see the Let's let's not go down this road. But the, but the <laughs> camp commandant, the Great Escape, was a kind of a fairly fairly amenable chap. Um, but anyway, anyway, um, it's bad. Um, it lost a pot of money at the time. Made it all back over the years, but um, lost like ten million bucks or something like that. The reviews were fairly lukewarm. You know, it was kind of absorbing rather than stirring. The Evening Standard said the Americans didn't really dig it at all. Gene Siskel of Siskel and Ebert absolutely savaged it. Uh, made the very made the very reasonable point that uh, the film has absolutely no dramatic interest in the other 93 minutes outside of the 40 minutes of action scene. And Siskel challenges the notion that it's worth seeing just for the aerial sequences. He's quite right. He put he actually, in 1969, he put it on his list of 20 worst films that have been released that year. Uh, he, That's fair. <laughs> he had a good line. He said, the planes are the only good lines in the film, which I think was about right. What are we... Um, God, our marks for Kane, for Kane rather Three. than the movie. Oh my Three. God. Three, three, yeah, I, I, I'd have to agree with you, and that's a stunning, that's a stunning and unexpected um, drop at this stage in in the game. I did not see this coming, but I, I would have to agree with you. And three, by the much way, like, was, much like Herman Goring. <laughs> Look at the way you wrapped it all up at the end. Oh, so. there we go, wrap it up. Okay, next section. Sixties Sixties in retrospect. Um, okay, so let's just go through a couple of categories, okay? We won't, we won't, uh, we won't delay too long on this. No. Best movie, my best movie in this in this decade for him, Italian Job. Agreed. Yeah. Worst movie for you? 
worst movie for me in let's be fair a i guess patchy decade would that be fair to say patchy decade um again but the decade that introduced him to the world still hurry sundown i don't think anything is made uh, left as bad a taste in my mouth as hurry sundown did and alfie did its fucking best alfie yeah. was tr- was trying to uh you know grab its tur- uh, grab its uh, disease member out of its uh, pants and uh, force it down my gullet but no <laughs> hurry sundown had already gotten there i was oh deep throating i deep deep throating my fucking tonsils with how bad it was okay i'm gonna stop you there but we agree. this is like i'm the same this is like this is like we you're, you're practically finishing my sentences what's your best your yeah. best Kane moment from the decade of 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 these movies. I, I, the op- the opening scene of Billion Dollar Brain. It's an, actually it's my favorite moment, but it's probably not his best performance. But it's my favorite moment. What's remind me what what is that? That's uh where uh what's his fucking name Colonel Plum or whatever his name is is breaking into Harry's uh um uh PI office. That's over a, a sex oh, shop. Yeah. Or Colonel or Ross or whatever it is, Colonel, Colonel Ross. Ross. That's and yeah, it's a complete mess. And it, I liked how that was the kind of the the antithesis to the open or to like the opening sequence of the Ipris files. See how far kind of Harry Palmer's character had fallen. So I, I, I like that. Like that's what I was taking for best moment. Did you mean Kane's personal best moment? No, I, I what you've did there. And again, we're practically finishing each other's sentences here. Yeah. I actually picked the supermarket scene from the Ipris file where he's walking yeah. through the supermarket with Ross, trying to. Yeah. They're actually improvising the scene. And they're trying yeah. to kind of conduct a, a confidential conversation about uh, spy business while getting, you know, while crashing their trolleys into others. And yeah. and Harry Palmer's doing it, you know, he's getting his uh, mushrooms in a can off the off the shelf and so on. Great, great scene, great scene. Uh, your wor- like the worst moment involving Kane. For me, back to Harry Sundown, it's got to be the kiss with, with Jane Fonda where, you know, K- the imprint of Kane's face is left on Fonda's face for probably a week. It's like he's trying to. What did I say? I think on the episode, I think it was like he's trying to suck a golf ball out of a hose. It's just awful. Yeah, for me, um, that was up there. But I, I went with uh, the scene where he's seducing Vivian Merchant by the river in Alfie. It's oh, yeah. just gross. It's just rank. Awful. Just the whole thing, the vibe and everything. Not. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, the biggest surprise, and what I meant by this was like something that you just you just, you didn't expect. Uh, when watching when watching these Kane movies from the sixties, well, the overall thing is I didn't expect that in the 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 decade that has defined him that has lifted a indelible mark on his career in terms of, you know, the Harry Palmer look, um, and you know the Italian job is that his output would be so fucking so patchy, yeah. But in terms of, in terms of the the like the biggest surprise I think for me was that having heard over the years how bad the Magus was was that to find out that it was actually watchable without being so bad that you couldn't watch it you know oh, it's like again you, you're actually finishing my sentence here like yeah. i've a, i've a word written down here what vaguely watchable i mean that was a big surprise for me as well like it's nowhere yeah. it's not as bad as hurry sundown it's not as bad as the wrong box i would nearly watch it before the battle of britain i i i'd have to think about i would that as one. well and, and, and again it's not as bad as i would have thought deadfall is a much worse yeah movie than Majors. i can't believe that they would say oh i guess the expectation around because the book was such as the such a bestseller and there was you know, such high expectations about um if, if, if the book we made into a movie i think that's what the issue with the, ma- the majors nobody kind of really expected deadfall or anything like that it was really you know g'd up for it to be a success or you know or what yeah. have you, but I think the, the expectations were so Low. considerable for the mages that they, everybody was so considerably disappointed when they end up watching it. 
Now it has to be said that it is a god awful film. Like I mean, we're oh no, we're, don't, don't be under no illusion. This is this is a fucking this is a terror. <laughs> like. Um, I I I suggested this category when we were putting this together because you just couldn't get away from misogyny in these, these movies in the sixties. So like the ultimate misogyny moment for me, the ultimate misogyny moment again was Vivian Merchant in Alfie. Her character has had an abortion, and to calm her down, uh, Kane's character Alfie slaps her. I just couldn't get. I I I, I that has haunted me. That scene, yeah, since. yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't. I can't argue with that. That that for me is just you know that is the fucking cherry on the shit trifle of uh, moments of misogyny throughout the sixties. There's a lot of them, uh, and the biggest letdown for me, the biggest letdown, kind of, I suppose, the reverse of surprise, the you know, the kind of the negative for me was the Battle of Britain performance. I really did not see that coming that he'd be so detached from the whole thing. Let's put it that way. Yeah, for me, the biggest letdown was um, Billion Dollar Brain. Like I said, we'll go back, going back to the, if you go back to the podcast when we were talking about it, you know, it's not a bad movie, but it is a bad way to leave Harry Palmer in terms of quality. So having kind of Deep Chris File being so good, um, Funeral in Berlin being good, this was kind of, you know, I mean, as with most trilogies, I guess this is kind of a real letdown from that perspective. Yeah, and the very, very last thing, the weirdest Kane moment, I've, I couldn't separate two. They're both, they're both from Billion Dollar Brain. At one point in the movie, he 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 extricates himself from a bath of dead bodies and kind of brushes it off like he's, you know, like just taking the suds off himself from an actual bath. And also in that in that, in that that show, he goes into a sauna at one stage, like it's in, you know, it's in Helsinki or whatever, and he's wrapped, he's swaddled in fur, goes into a sauna, doesn't sweat. Not one bead comes off that man. Weird. That's too weird for me. I can't be taking that. No, that's fair. For me, uh, the weirdest moment was when he throws a baseball in Hurry Sundown. So oh, there's, yeah. a scene, there's a scene at Hurry Sundown where he's uh, where he's trying to basically inveigle himself into the good graces of uh, his uh, his cousin's uh, kid, and uh, he brings him a baseball and a baseball glove, and they have a very curtailed game of catch, which I say was as a result of Otto Preminger mm. having to go through about I imagine sixty takes of Kane throwing the ball and i don't know how you de- how you describe it but if we go back and we're, we 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 shut the door on the de-gayification of michael k but if you were to go back on all the hard work they put into de-gaying as they say in their words not ours yes. uh, michael Caine, that they allowed someone throw a ball who would appear as if he was trying to uh, bat a fly away with the feather duster it was one of the worst things. You could clearly say, uh, you, could, oh, they may, you could clearly imagine Otto Preminger going, right, we're not, okay, this whole catch thing is not going to work. You know, just send the boy around the back and he's going to play with the baseball around the back there because there's no way we're going to be able to get Kane. It's it, just, it, it's just really weird. We are some years away from Escape to Victory and already by Hurry Sundown, you're thinking he's not really the sporty type. That is the 60s, 60s, 60s. I feel like we're walking away from 60s Kane. Actually, do you know what it's a little bit like? It's a little bit like a pilot in the Battle of Britain having kind of crash landed. He's got hit a few times. He's kept it in the air. He's landed, crash landed, not sure whether the Spitfire will be able to be repaired. But I tell you what, he gets out and he's the pilot is freaking shaken after the experience. Yeah, and he's uh, 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 the planes crash landed in the minefield. Yeah, yeah, and it's up to somebody else to go get it. 
Yeah. I'm not going back there. I'm not watching those movies again. <laughs> Hurry Sundown? I, I don't think so. I don't, I, I, no, I don't think no. so. So now, headlong into the 70s, Kane is moving to Hollywood. Uh, might be starting to do a little bit of tippling. I don't want to, I don't want to sort of Hooray. go too far ahead of myself. You know, maybe film choices are kind of up and down, but we'll see. For the time being, our next movie is another war. He's in a kind of bit of a war thing at the moment. So next one is Too Late to Hero. So we swap uh, the White Cliffs of Dover uh, for the steaming jungles of the Far East. Getting ourselves killed isn't going to make any difference to anybody except us. I'm assuming this is a this is a stirring tale about the importance of punctuality. It is exactly synchronize your watches. Yes, I understand this uh, to be anecdote heavy period uh, for Michael Caine in terms of how much he really loved going to the Philippines and shooting in location. Really, really. Yes, I have no memory. I, I, the only knowledge I have of this film, to which to be fair, is is pretty substantial because I've watched it about twenty million times. We had as kids. It was. It must have been on late one night on BBC or something. We taped it, but we only taped the second half. So I've I've watched the second half of this movie so many times that myself and my younger brother pretty much, pretty much knew the uh, pretty much knew the script. And let me tell you now that there's a piece of music going to be playing in your head after you watch this film for many days, and it goes something like this. It goes. So you've got that to look forward to. That sounds an awful lot like in Snoopy when the when the adults are talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go into the 70s. Let's go watch Too Late to Hero. It's actually very easy to find online. If anybody who's listening now wants to come back in this next episode, if you haven't seen Too Late to Hero, go have a look. It's Michael Caine, Cliff Robertson is in it as well, and a bunch of British actors who are in all these war movies. Uh, Stephen, thanks for everything again, and thanks for holding my hand through the 60s. Uh, any any time. Let's leave the sixties behind us. Let's leave the embers of our burnt burnt brass and uh, put on those bell bottoms. Put on those denim bell bottoms and stride hand in hand into the seventies with the the crusted remnants of cocaine in under our nostrils. Flag it aside cider and let's uh, look at the wonderful banquet uh, of movies that Kane has lined up for us. And as usual, if you feel like watching to let the hero go away, watch it. Uh, hit us up. Oh God, hit us up. Yeah, I'll go with that. Hit us up on the twits uh, at Mark Kane too. And any questions that you'd like, any questions you'd like to ask us about Too Late the Hero, um, and we'll do our best to answer them. Um, until then, we'll see you next time. Yeah, take it easy. We'll see you in the seventies. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe. Um, maybe leave a comment. Only nice ones, though. Mean comments will make Alfie cry, and no one wants to see that. The Marco Kane podcast is written, researched, and presented by Stephen Black and Michael Foley, and edited by Andrew Foley. Music is composed by Stephen Black. If you'd like to get in touch, you'll find us on Twitter at, at Mallow News and at Marco Kane 2. And if you enjoyed this episode, you'll find all the rest wherever you get your podcasts. The Marco Kane is a Mallow News 2 Cubes production. See you next time. More.